The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. As you will have heard in the news headlines there, and as you will have heard over the last couple of hours, Yosef Pushka has been found guilty, convicted by unanimous jury today of the murder of Ashling Murphy in County Offaly last year on January 12th, to be precise, along the Grand Canal Way. It's when the jury determined that he did murder the 23-year-old school teacher. She had 11 stab wounds in the right side of her neck, which caused acute blood loss and her heart to stop. Neither she nor Mr. Pushka were known to each other, the Central Criminal Court heard today. It is a story I know that so many of you have been following in great detail. It is a case that is equal parts tragic and terrifying. And it's a case that has struck a chord with so many people around this country for so many different reasons. And we're going to talk about that to a whole host of different people uh, today. But Sinead O'Carroll is with me, first and foremost, editor at thejournal.ie. And Sinead, can you just talk us through some of the the key points from today's verdict? Yeah, so the nine men and three women um, started deliberating uh, yesterday in the the trials. So it was day 17, day 18 today. um, They came back with their guilty verdict. Um, The Murphy family were all present in court. Um, There was uh, an applause by them when the verdict was read out and they embraced um, each other. Um, So Joseph Postka will be returned to court on November 17th. He will be sentenced to mandatory life in prison for for the murder. Uh, Justice Tony Hunt, who was presiding over the case, told the jury afterwards while thanking them that um, Postka will have his day of reckoning. And he said, we have evil in this room. So he didn't hold back in his comments to the jury afterwards as he thanked them for the service and, and said that they were exempt from jury service for the next 20 years. He said that while it was a straightforward case, it was a very difficult and distressing one. So he was, um, while exempting them, kind of thanking them for the service um, that they had put in over the last three weeks. It is a case as well, isn't it, that that did strike such a chord with so many people? Yeah, and the, and the judge... Um, said that as well in his closing comments and and what he pointed to was the fact that she was a woman who was living locally in her own community, that she was part of the GA, which is obviously such a large, vibrant organisation across the country so people can relate to the work that she would have been doing and the fact that she was a teacher and spent her days working with the children of this country. So he said for those reasons, you know, people came to the courtroom, they watched um, in the courtroom as members of the public but they also obviously tuned into radio and to um, news reports about what was happening and he said that that was notable in this case because people really resonated with um, the suffering of of the family. Um, Frank Rainey, our courts correspondent, of course, has been covering this in great detail for us. And we're going to be speaking to Frank um, a little bit later this hour. We are going to hear from Ashing Murphy's family as well, who are addressing the public outside the court and from other people who knew her, college lecturers, teachers, uh, you name it, so many people reeling um, today as they were on the 12th of January uh, last year. Uh, Sinead is going to stay with me. Holly Carpenter is here as well, the influencer and Alva Smith, the activist and campaigner. Holly, is this a, a trial that you found difficult to follow? Um, yeah, definitely. It was so utterly shocking. And I think as a woman, I grew up from a very young age being told how to stay safe um, and, you know, told not to stay out late and not to be out alone and dark and um, not to wear a skirt too short, not to talk to strange men or protect your drinks so you don't get spiked. All of these things. And there's nothing Ashling Murphy could have done in that broad daylight situation to protect herself. And, you know, they have, you know, women are constantly being blamed, um, I feel, for their own victimhood, which 
it's just shocking to hear. And I think everyone remembers the day probably where they heard it on the news at first. And it just, I stopped in my tracks and I was like, this can't, this can't be happening in Ireland in broad daylight to a young woman. It's just utterly shocking. And was it, was it, do you suspect, I mean, is it that relatability that so many people had to that situation? Kind of being out on your own, out for a run, um, I guess without, without, as it were, kind of not, not sounding kind of glib, but kind of a care in the world, that that, is that why it resonated? Why it struck a chord? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, I'm someone who goes out walking and running and, and the likes. And, you know, I would never be in a position to victim blame. But I, there's certain things that I think of at the time where I'm like, OK, don't have your music on too loud in your headphones in case someone comes up at you from far behind. Don't make eye contact with a man who walks past you. Like, I certainly feel a lot safer when I have my dog with me. Um, but you shouldn't have to think like that. And whether it was you know, two in the morning or two in the day, women should feel safe in their own country to go for a run. Um, And it's just such a tragic case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and just such a senseless loss of life that really rocked the nation. And it still to this day just feels completely unbelievable that it happened. Sinead, did you find it difficult to follow aspects of the trial? For me, what was difficult is that that randomness of it, because I just kept thinking of the family. I think when you when you've thought of the year that they've the two years that they've gone through, trying to deal with the bereavement, the loss, the grief, but also trying to wrap your head around the randomness of it, um, the violence of it, the um, and not knowing the, the nature of it, really. Like, we'll talk today about misogynistic violence and, and uh, violence against women, but we know so little about the motivation or the, like, the... The lead up to these events, like we were very clear that there's absolutely no connection. And the judge again said that um, through the course of the trial, because there had been rumours of a connection um, locally and there's absolutely no connection between Ashling and, and her murderer. So that I just kept thinking of the family having to process this and then go through the absolute trauma of a trial. And for me, that that was difficult to kind of wrap your head around that that could have been anybody's family. That could be anybody we all know. And I think that's a huge part of why it resonated, especially in the in the timing of it, because it was, you know, just as we were coming out of COVID in, in uh, 2020, 20, 2022. And, you know, walks were such a huge part of everyone's life, no matter if you if that's not wasn't part of your life pre-COVID, you know, going for your daily walk. And the idea, I think it probably was something that, People sat up and listened to women for the first time being like, oh, this is what you mean. Because the stats tell us that most women who are in danger are in danger in their own homes from perpetrators of domestic violence. That's how most yeah. women um, meet violent ends in this country and in most countries. So um, when when women can't feel safe at home in some situations and then generally women don't feel safe outside of the home, I think this was the first time that maybe a lot of people kind of sat up and listened to women who often do have to be on their own in, in outdoor settings at night, you know, things that sometimes we're told to avoid, but you can't avoid if you're coming home from work and things like that. And I think this this case was the first time that we actually probably had a society-wide yeah. wide conversation about how that feels for women. And I, I do want to, I'm, I'm acutely conscious of not, sounding like I'm creating kind of a hierarchy of victims um, when I ask this. But do you think that's why this resonated with so many people so in a much broader sense than other cases? Because because there was that element of randomness, because they didn't know each other. It didn't have that the element that so many domestic violence cases have where it is it is by and large someone in the immediate family. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. Now is not the time for it because you don't want to take, I think, you know, so much... 
um, airtime has been taken up with Joseph Puska that we know the, the next few hours, next few days should be led by whatever Ashley Murphy's family want. And I think we need to be really cognizant of that. But I think in due course, we should have a conversation about that hierarchy of victim because I think it does um, a lot of harm to victims of domestic violence that we don't see them in the same way. Yeah. You know, and I think that goes back to some um, historical uh, way we treated domestic violence literally as is a domestic Is there still an situation. element of, and I, we're kind of getting off topic, but is there, is there an element still of victim blaming with domestic violence? A yeah. sense that you could have got out of it. I, I think there's a sense we don't say it explicitly. It. Maybe we don't even think it explicitly. Maybe it's subliminal. I think there's also an element that we still call it domestic violence, as if it's something not for society. It's it's, it's something that happens in people's home or in their in their marital spaces or their non-marital spaces. And I think that's definitely still part of why we react to some of those murders different to. Um, Murphy, but there's also just a, a visceral human reaction that you, you can't avoid. And when it happens at a society-wide level, you know, you can't stop t- people talking about things or, or having feelings mm. and having to process those feelings. Um, but I think, you know, the UK had the same thing with Sarah Everard. So, you know, it's a very human reaction to this kind of stranger danger murder rather than, you know, something that is perpetrated by a, a known person. Uh, Gemma in Dublin, as after getting in touch, 087-1400-106, this murder shook me and my friends to our core violence against women can come out of nowhere and it means we always have to be on our guard. And you touched on this, Holly, this was kind of the conversation was had, I guess, in the window between Ashing Murphy's murder and Yosef Pushka being um, uh, charged. There, there were kind of conversations being had or the starts of conversations. They understandably came to an end then once he was charged and a court case was looming um, that focused on that, on, on women in the public realm and how, I guess, Men like myself can just take it for granted that you can go. Actually, by way of example, I'm not sure if you even remember this. You made a very telling comment the last time you were on the show. Uh, we were in the Palace Bar and we were talking about taxis, you know, yeah. kind of talking about Dublin and nights out. And myself and Donald Fallon both made a remark to you about walking home as if, like, why don't you just walk home? And you turned to both of us Straight and away. you just said, male privilege. And you, it was a point really well made, <laughs> yeah, actually. I know. That we would just think for, take it for granted you could walk from Camden Street to Smithfield. What's the big deal? Yeah, exactly. And also it's not something I have to remind myself of. I don't have to stop and think, OK, maybe there's going to be a dangerous situation. I just automatically feel like I need to be careful and I need to check on other women and, you know, my friends and, you know, even situations where you might be out and, and you see a girl looking uncomfortable on a date or it's just this kind of, I never feel threatened by women. I only ever feel threatened by men. And I don't like think that men can really understand that when it, it starts at such a young age. And every time there's a story like this, it's just upsetting it's terrifying but you kind of feel really helpless because of the randomness of it like you said and there's no way of understanding how that can happen um and there was also something you know obviously I am I work with, in social media there was a situation in February where an influencer had put up on her stories where she was eating out with a friend and um this was back in February and a guy saw the story he went to the location and as she was sitting there he approached her from behind in front of everyone in the restaurant and hit her full force at the back of the head her face hit off the glass she was drinking from and she had like a two inch laceration on her face and um, I won't name her because I think the trial hasn't happened yet but like that terrified me and now I'm thinking okay maybe I don't I shouldn't post where I am in real time I should just wait and you know some people might think that's paranoia but if you're out in a run and you think is that guy looking at me weird am I being paranoid or am I actually in danger how are we supposed to know that's the line isn't it yeah what seems like common sense and what what is exactly asking too much Mm -hmm. of ourselves or, or each other to keep yourself safe and so when something like this happens it it 
It reminds, uh, remember in the late 90s after the six women disappeared in, in the Leinster area? Yeah, the disappearing triangle. The, yeah, say. and Sky actually have a talk yeah, about this Sunday. Out, uh, this Sunday on it. And um, if you look, when you watch that, um, you're reminded. So I would have been just coming into my teenage years um, in Kildare when Deirdre Jacob um, went missing. And some of the things now that my mother would have been worried about at the time makes so much more sense to me. Like, I used to have to, she used to walk me to the bus stop going to secondary school and like I was a pretty chill teenager so I didn't mind but I was like, it's kind of embarrassing man. But now yeah. looking back and thinking of the timing, it was like 98, 99, like just after Georgia Jacob went missing in Newbridge. So, you know, these are the kind of things that change people's mindset on what's safe and what's not. Um, and I'm sure there are people now like looking at that canal way and awfully going like, what, what do we do with that? Like, can can I run that? Like, can I walk that? How do I feel about any of these spaces mm. around it? Even though we know this was so random. And See, that's you know. the, the, there's, there's, I guess there's two kind of conversations that the, there's always going to be random acts of violence. You know, and I think you have to acknowledge that reality as well, which doesn't mean you kind of just sit back and accept it. But And then there's the, the conversation about as you say, kind of misogyny and the way you put it, Holly, that I never feel threatened by women, I only feel threatened by men. You know, and they they kind of, they're all kind of mixed up in this story, aren't they? Exactly. And I, I also think that like people are quick to say, oh, she's an angry feminist or she's bashing men. Like I love men. I have a great dad. I have a great boyfriend. Love my brother. Like I don't have, I haven't had a bad experience with men. And it's not about saying all men are like this. And I know there will be people say, you know, not all men, but it's the small things that women have to face daily sometimes that if men understood from their point of view that it can be intimidating, it would go a long way for them to make changes. You know, if you're walking alone down the street and you have to walk through a big crowd of men, it's really great if they would just stand aside and maybe don't catcall them, maybe don't look them up and down. I saw in London they had to have a, an actual um, ad campaign about man spreading where a man would sit opposite a woman with his legs wide open and just look at her. That's not illegal, but that's extremely intimidating and creepy and weird. And that just makes women feel unsafe. And that kind of feeling, it's, I, I can't explain it. You feel almost dirty and it's it's just you feel helpless in that situation. And like, you know, I'm not being precious or a snowflake or anything, but I just think that like it would go a long way if men could make an effort to understand that that small things that they might not think about can really intimidate a woman. Yeah, I think it's that. It's understanding the spectrum of violence. So yes, like this kind of, you know, murder is so rare and so random that like that, that's not the spectrum that women are, are talking about when they're talking about the violence yes. we experience every day. You're talking about, you know, the teenage boy who thinks it's funny to, you know, slap you on the bum as you're running by, which happens. Or the, yeah. the older 20-something-year-old who thinks it's funny to make a, a comment about the clothes you're wearing. Or, you know, the older man who, you know, look you up and down and, and, and give you a wink. Because it, it's those experiences. It's the other stuff. It's the not all men pushback. What what they seek to do is discredit that experience, mm-hmm. isn't it? They say, they, they say, hashtag not all men, they... they highlight the random nature of this attack and that random attacks are a reality. And then they use that to kind of discredit the concerns expressed about all those other things. Yeah, and and the understanding that we all understand that it's a spectrum. So like when these things happen to us, sometimes you can get on with your day and not give it a second thought. Other times it will impact you a bit more um, strongly or you, you'll be more upset by these things. And you have to understand that fear, the the fear that women feel on the streets is because of this spectrum of 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 violence yeah. because of this one random attack. Uh, Alva Smith is with us as well. Alva, was this a a case that you found difficult to follow? Well, it was emotionally, of course, very, very, very deeply upsetting. 
I'm sure everybody agrees with that, that, you know, and even more upsetting thinking of Ashling Murphy's, her poor bereft family in there actually listening day after day after day because there was a huge amount of evidence which was gone over in very great detail. And that is, that that's intolerable. That is something they obviously feel they have to do, but it is really terrible to be going through all of that. And I think, you know, it brings it home to us yet again um, that these obviously random acts are nonetheless... Um, they, they are what remind us of the the everywhereness of men's violence against women, and of course it's not all men. This really annoys me, <laughs> but 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 I think the reality, statistically, and I know statistics are boring, but there is a real truth here that the European Union, their statistics say one in three women. Um, has or will experience violence in her life. It's about one in four or one in five here. So this, that violence of, of, you know, a violent kind is a reality. So it reminds us, I think, the case of this, however random that was. And almost the randomness brings home to us just how appalling this violence is because it happens not because somebody is motivated to do you harm but is simply there to do harm and the easiest people on whom men can do harm are women. And I think that's what women, that's what terrifies us, to know that that is out there stalking the land, so to speak, not looking for me personally, but me wherever I happen to anybody, any woman who happens to be uh, around. And I think that that's very hard for all of us to take in. I think it is hard for, for women, hard for girls. Well, we've been socialised into understanding that this is an everyday risk mm. for us and we push it back. But, you know, as you were saying, there, there is a kind of cumulative effect of all the little things, uh, the pattings and the uh, the whistling and the, the jeering and the calling you names and so on and so forth. All of that is a, it's a yeah. kind of a cumulative yeah. effect. Spitting, that's the thing that I've experienced a bit in Dublin, like... Yeah, spitting and um, spitting. Yes. Yeah, there's and it, like it's that spectrum. But then, like we talk about the randomness and the violence. But like this year, like I think since Ashing Murphy has died, eighteen women have died violently in Ireland. That's a huge number. You know, we've seen we've seen a, a, a significant increase in the last few years of, of women dying violently. Absolutely. Um, so 18 since Ashling Murphy died. So we're talking about how this is like a kind of a catalyst for this, these kind of conversations. But since then, like 18 but other women have also not violently. New. Yeah. I mean, Women's Aid have been doing a femicide watch now since 1996. And since then, 263 women have been killed um, violently. So, you know, it's not new. It's been with us for a very long Mm. time. It is deeply ingrained, deeply rooted. And what I really hope and what I was going to go on and say there is that this is very difficult. It is reminding us and let it be not just a reminder, but let it spur us on 
to really take action to prevent this from happening, whether it's random violence or violence in the home or sexual violence, yeah. whatever kind, that, that we need to really seriously set about stopping this from happening. Well, Laura's been in touch. As a friend of beautiful Ashling. we are so glad that justice has been served and we can now remember her for the amazing person that she was. Laura, listen, thank you so much for sharing that with us. 87 1400 Alva mentions moving the conversation on to preventing uh, violence uh, in the future uh, to the degree that is possible. We will talk about that after this very quick break. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. This is the Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock. Alva Smith is still with me. The activist and campaigner Holly Carpenter, the influencer, and Sinead Carroll, Sinead O'Carroll, uh, the editor at the Journal.ie, all of course talking about the guilty verdict for Joseph Pushka in the trial of Ashing Murphy's uh, murder. Alva, you were talking before the break about the need to move the conversation on to the topic of violence prevention. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, you know, we lament the fact that there is so much violence against women and girls, um, but we very rarely follow that up by saying immediately, and this is what we need to do about it, or even to say we have to do something now. And I I think what was actually very interesting in the response and important in the the national response to Ashley Murphy's um, tragic murder was was precisely that people did turn out and say, well, what are we going to do about this? We can't let this kind of thing um, carry on. And one of the very strong calls at the time was that it was very important for men to become involved and not to sort of stand back. So instead of simply having the hashtag not all men of saying, yes, it isn't all men. So but all men need to stand up and to say we as men actually want to stop this happening. We want to see an end to this violence because because it is wicked. And what's the this yeah, and what I mean is, because there'll be some men listening that say, well, hold on, me or my peer group, we don't violently attack women. So Alva's not talking about us here. You know, but like it, but I, I, I take it there's like yeah. there's a cascading effect, isn't yeah, there? No. Like so, the small things lead to bigger things. But just as I, I talk about uh, women and we need to do such and such and so and so, it's not necessarily from direct experience. Yeah, but it's actually saying that it. For me, it's about men recognising. I mean, Holly was talking about the men who stand back a bit and who say, oh, look, you know, when I realise that I'm doing something which could be intimidating, I stop it. So it's about each man really taking responsibility and becoming aware of the ways in which women and girls are frightened because there is so much and violence and of trying to take some responsibility for that, not in a personal sense of I am guilty, but yeah. rather, what can I do to move this on? Whether- part of it, Kieran, is like well, we, we don't have the answers because we're not in your spaces. So we're not in male only spaces. So we don't know what happens in them. We don't know what happens in your WhatsApp groups. But, like we, we have got insights into WhatsApp groups over various trials over the years. We've got insights into what happens at... Um, 
you know, in big sporting events when crowds are mostly male. Like, so we, we know what can happen in those male spaces. What we don't know is, does anyone try and stop some of the things mm. that maybe do glorify violence or sexist but it would be awesome. rhetoric around women? Like, what kind of things happen in those male spaces that men can can very obviously say, well, actually, this now, the scale that those women on the radio were talking about, this is probably what they're talking about. That that pornographic image that was shared in a WhatsApp group or, yes. or that slur that was said about that girl who's had a bit too much drink or you know, rape jokes or whatever it is. Like, are those the kind of things that happen in male spaces that you can tell us more about? <laughs> yeah, and, and I they certainly would have been, I certainly would have been in WhatsApp groups that were more toxic in that sense than the WhatsApp groups I'm in now. And I sometimes wonder, is that a, is that a, um, a symptom of kind of society evolving for the better or is it a symptom of the aging process? And now I'm just in WhatsApp groups with kind of men in their forties asking, "Are we going out for a cycle this weekend?" You know, and not to be kind of glib or kind of cracking a but joke about it, but their forties can also have daughters. No, I know, and, but and you know, do you know the point I'm making about the, the I do the I groups? Do. Yeah, but the point is, it doesn't really matter what age you are um, as a man. There is always a way in which you can and should stand up. Maybe both physically. Uh, you know, I was just mm-hmm. thinking, I really like the thought of men actually coming together to stand in a kind of a massed group, just as women go out and say this has to stop. It's important for men to say we also think it has to stop. We do not approve of this. Mm. This is not in our name. And it is really time for men to do that. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have to do this in in a way that reaches right across the age spectrum. So it's very important that in schools, from primary school on, that boys and girls and, you know, particularly boys are education encouraged and supported to understand that it's not funny to make fun of girls, Mm. that it's not funny to be pushing them, that it's not funny to be doing these kind of, you know, jokey things that boys, even quite small boys, can Mm. do towards girls. And that that needs to be pointed out. And I'm not saying that it should happen in some kind of punitive way, but that an understanding grows that girls and boys are equal. And when it's rooted in equality, then you can actually start to to get somewhere, I think. Uh, Holly? I agree with what you're saying, Kieran, as well, that there is a level of maturity that, you know, it's, it's kind of seen as almost cool in a way for lads mm. to boast about how far they met, might have gotten with a girl or to show pictures of a girl that they were with. And that kind of thing with age, you start to realise how wrong that is. I think whether you have a daughter or not, but I understand when someone does have a daughter, then they kind of realise they want to protect her and everything. But I think that in my experience, I've only ever seen people, you know, when I was in school, we only learned about consent and all of those kind of topics when we were in transition year at 16. Hmm. And I think by 16, most men have probably watched, most boys have probably watched porn. They have a skewed understanding of relationships, of sex, of consent. They don't even know what really what the word is. And by 16, I think it's too late. They could have, you know. Richie Sadler's documentary a few weeks ago, the class of uh, fourth years, he asked, they all said eight when they first saw pornography. Absolutely. So if there's parents listening now and they haven't watched that documentary, all of the kids were asked when they first saw pornography and they said and eight the years old. In the so there, that's the age you need to start talking <laughs> to your kids yeah. about 
like how they process this stuff and how they will process well, this, this is stuff. Well, this is, I mean, the recent move to make sure that there aren't smartphones in schools. But as people mm. are pointing out, it's OK to keep, the, it's important to keep the smartphones out of the schools. It's what happens afterwards, mm. after school, that yeah. also has to be looked after. But but that spread of pornography through technology, because of technology, I mean, that is absolutely huge contributory factor to that, but, I think. But Kieran, this could be the challenge. And so if you, you if your friend group has matured or maybe you have, you know, self-selected a friend group that has matured in these WhatsApp groups, maybe the challenge then is is what Ava is saying is that, OK, you're definitely in a group that doesn't um, share any of this toxic stuff anymore. You know, that's different to maybe when you were younger. So the challenge maybe is, OK, maybe this is the space where we can be proactive. And instead of waiting for a challenge to come up for my 14 year old daughter and, you know, do that kind of very annoying father of daughter mm. trope that get kind of annoys us all. Like you don't have to be a father of daughter to be proactive in terms of making your workspaces or, you know, your GA spaces in your case more friendly and welcoming yeah. for women, places that aren't necessarily always the most welcoming for women. Mm. So when you are in a friendship group like that, that is probably more positive, then use it for, you know, to be proactive. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.